John went to the unemployment office to get a job and the placement specialist asked him what he did. John said, I'm a pilot. She went to her files and said, good news, John. We have a job for you and you can begin tomorrow. John was so excited, he went home and told his brother Bill that he got a job and his brother shows up at the unemployment office the next day. The uh, placement specialist says, and uh, what is your line of work? And Bill said, I'm a woodcutter. She went through the files and said, I I'm sorry, there's just nothing available at this time. Uh, Bill protested. He said, but my brother came in and you gave him a job and he he's starting today. She looked up his file and said, but, you know, he is a pilot. Bill said, well, so what? He can't pilot until I cut it. <laughs> uh, the placement specialist was confused about John's work. Jesus uh, is never confused and will now make an assessment on this church, the church of Smyrna. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 2. And as you're flipping there, uh, let me give you some background on Smyrna. It was uh, located 35 miles north of Ephesus. Uh, it was considered the fairest of the cities of Ionia, uh, which was the region that the seven churches were located. Uh, it, like Ephesus, was a wealthy city with a thriving seaport. Uh, there was a temple erected there in honor of the emperor Tiberius, uh, and Thomas uh, informs us that it was a persecuted church. He writes, under Domitian, emperor worship was made compulsory for every Roman citizen. Failure to comply meant death. Every year, every citizen had to burn incense on Caesar's altar, after which he was issued a certificate to be without a certificate, as must have been the case for Christians obedient to Christ, was to risk discovery and the death penalty. Gives us a little idea of what these saints were up against. Let me go ahead and read to you Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead. And came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Join me in prayer. Father, the Apostle Paul said that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, Father, teach us not only how to live godly lives, but then how to endure the persecution that will come. Thank you for the inspired word that instructs us how to live. And I pray that we would learn much from this text today. May your spirit, the spirit of truth, guide us into your truth. 
I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, Jesus commands John to pen the following words, which will then be handed to the messenger, most likely the pastor of the church of Smyrna. The ancient city of Smyrna uh, is still in existence today. It's called Izmir. Uh, There are over 3 million people in that city today, and I believe there is still, to this day, a Christian church that is located there. That's amazing. But when I read the text, did you notice something that was different about this church versus the church of Ephesus? There's no condemnation given to this church. And you might ask the question, why? Well, we have a hint maybe even in the name Smyrna. That name means bitter. Uh, Elsewhere, it's translated as the word myrrh. You're familiar with the word myrrh. Uh, The noun is translated that way as myrrh in Matthew 2.11, the verb in Mark 15.23, and then once again the noun in John chapter 19 in verse 39. Now the Hebrew word is actually more. Uh, translated in the Greek translation as myrrh. In the New Testament, the term is associated with death. Uh, Jesus was embalmed with myrrh, according to John chapter 19 in verse 39. So why is the church of Smyrna not condemned by the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think the answer is they were a persecuted church. Persecution brings purity. Those that are serious about the things of the Lord remain even under persecution. And we see that this will be the case here at Smyrna and then down the road with the Church of Philadelphia. Today's first main point is this. Our eternal risen Lord knows our hardship. Our eternal risen Lord knows our hardship. Jesus begins these things, says the first and the last. Uh, We saw a similar expression back in Revelation chapter 1 in verse 17. Uh, And by the way, and this is important to note, uh, with each church except the last church, the church of Laodicea, what is stated to those churches goes back to the vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ. This persecuted church needs to be reminded that Jesus is eternal. We could say it this way, Jesus is the one who was and who is and who is to come. Just knowing that their Savior exists should be enough to encourage them. I had a good friend uh, pastoring over on the West Coast, having a really tough time with his church. Uh, They just didn't give him the respect that he deserved, and even the leadership uh, treated him with contempt. One day when he wrote to me, he just said, you know, Ken, I'm just, I'm just so glad you're there. Just knowing you're there encourages me. Well, think about this. If one man can bring encouragement to another by existing, how much more encouragement can be brought to our hearts by Jesus Christ 
who existed forever in the past remains right now and is right here with us. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, and will forever exist. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I want to give you a quote by St. Augustine. He was uh, born, we believe, in AD 354. Uh, interestingly enough, by age 16, he had a mistress, a living, uh, who stayed with him for uh, 16 years, and they had a child together. But when he came to Christ, his life was turned upside down. He became quite a scholar and defender of the Christian faith. But this is what Augustine has written. It is necessary to die, but nobody wants to. You don't want to, but you are going to. A hard necessity that is not to want something that cannot be avoided. We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And yet there stands necessity saying, this way, please. Do you hesitate, man, to go this way? When this is the way that God came to you. How true. We know. Jesus Christ, because not only did he come via a virgin, but that he died for our sin and, of course, conquered death. It was his death that brought us to him. And it will be our death, you know, should the rapture not occur in our lifetime, that will also bring us to God. So why fear it? Uh, Jesus came to us via death, so we must go to him that same route. Here's the assessment now down in verse 9. The one who conquered death says, I know your works. Again, this is said to each and every one of the seven churches. There is an assessment that goes on that is taking place in our lives right now, but the totality of our life's work, particularly in the context of the local church, will come before the Holy One. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire will discern how well we have served him with our life's work. Uh, intriguing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14, when it speaks about our work, it's singular. Listen to what Paul writes. Each one's work will become clear for the day, I believe the day of the rapture, when we will be scrutinized by Jesus Christ, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, again singular, of what sort it is, speaking of the quality. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. So just note here, Jesus Christ is the one who knows our works not only does he understand what we are doing for him our tribulation as well is something he is totally aware of the word tribulation means pressure it's the idea of severe suffering these saints are being persecuted and as a result of their tribulation they also knew poverty and by the way, this is not the Greek word panes, which means having nothing extra. This is patokos, which means having nothing 
at all. So catch the, the context here. Jesus knows their works, the tribulation they are experiencing, and the tribulation in their context does leave the poverty because think about it. If people hate Christ, then they're going to hate Christians. And you think they're going to hire a Christian? So there's poverty that these people are experiencing just because they're identifying with Jesus Christ. But yet the Lord knows something that the world doesn't grasp. He says, but you are rich. What a paradox. Uh, Let me just uh, build upon what we saw last week. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the context of giving, we will come to see that the one who was rich, Jesus Christ, made himself poor, came down here to earth in order that we could be rich. Come with me now to chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Although they were severely persecuted and had great poverty, yet they gave and gave generously. Who's the model for this? Look at chapter 8 and verse 9 there in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So although these saints were impoverished, yet the riches that they had were eternal and no one could take them away. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. All that Christ has, he shares with us. We're heirs of God according to Romans 8 and joint heirs with Christ. We are indeed blessed and so were these saints. But then Jesus says as well, And I know the blasphemy, speaking of those who say they are Jews. Uh, Blasphemy is the idea to speak poorly against someone. Could be translated perhaps today as being slandered. It's to really desecrate what is sacred. These Christians are being slandered, as we will see here, by the Jewish community. The Jewish community. Community. I came upon this in preachingtoday.com. It's called Forced to Renounce Christianity. If you become an evangelical Christian in Laos, the communist neighbor of Vietnam and Cambodia, you likely will be asked to sign a fill-in-the-blank form, and it's not a membership card at your neighborhood church. The form reads in part, I, and you fill in your name, who live in, and you give your location, believe in a foreign religion, which the imperialists have used for their own benefit to divide 
the united front and to build power for themselves against the local authorities. Now I and my family clearly see the intentions of the enemy and regret the deeds which we have committed. We have clearly seen the goodness of the party and the government. Therefore, I and my family voluntarily and unequivocally resign from believing in this foreign religion. If you sign, you promise not to participate in this foreign religion. If you don't sign, you can expect humiliation, harassment, and persecution, including probably imprisonment and torture. The document's widespread use by the Laotian officials has been authenticated by the World Evangelical Fellowship Religious Liberty Commission and other sources. Hundreds of rural Christians reportedly have been forced to sign the form in public, then compelled to participate in animistic sacrifices. So think about this just for a moment. Even around the world today, there is persecution. And to identify with Christ is to receive that kind of persecution. Jesus says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews. Speaking here of these Jews, they're physically, but not spiritually, descendants of Abraham. And let me show you the distinction. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and as you're turning to Romans chapter 2, Paul's in the section of Scripture whereby he is showing that all people are sinners. That goes from 118 all the way through to chapter 3 and verse 20 in the book of Romans. We all have inherited a sin nature from Adam. David says himself in Psalm 51 and verse 5 that he was brought forth in sin. In other words, the time he was brought forth into this world, he had a sin nature. We understand that the law shows us our sinfulness and it's to bring us to our knees that we might look up to the cross. Paul here, Romans 2 in verse 17, he's going to address the Jews. Indeed, you are called a Jew. Now a little background here. The name Jew goes back to the word Judah. It carries the idea of praise. God's people, the Jews, uh, you can think of the tribe of Judah, were to bring praise to God by their lives. So indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And all they did boast in God. Come down to verse 28. Paul continues, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly not a true Jew yeah you are by ethnicity biologically you are linked to Abraham but this is not what Paul wants to see from the Jews he wants to see them converted to become Christian see for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise, you see how Paul brings that in? That's the idea of the term Jew and Judah, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Back with me, please, to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says, 
I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but these individuals are from the synagogue of Satan. Soon, ago. Soon is with, ago is to gather. That's the idea of a synagogue, to be gathered together. They're at the synagogue of Satan, these Jews. Satan is the one who's initiated to bring them together to bring persecution to the saints. This is all orchestrated by the wicked one who not only hates Christ, but he hates those identified with Jesus Christ. Our first main point, our eternal risen Lord knows our hardship. Now for point number two. Fear not suffering and death because life follows. Fear not suffering and death because life follows. Here in the beginning of verse 10, we have a present imperative, a command, which here could be translated stop. Jesus says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Stop fearing. He's telling the saints, yes, there are certain things you will endure, death perhaps as well, but you have nothing to fear. He goes on to say, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now, it's not as if Satan himself is going to show up and throw the saints into prison. He's going to use those Jews who hate Christ to be his arms and legs. That's what's going here. So they're going to be thrown into prison with the purpose that you may be tested. That you may be tested. Any professors, teachers here today? Let me ask you a question. Once you've instructed your students, how do you find out if they know the material? The answer is you give them a test. The word used here for test is not from Dokimadzo. The idea is I'm testing you because I want to approve you. Because that is what a good professor or teacher does. This is a different word that has the idea I'm testing you because I want you to fail. That is how it is used in Matthew 4.1 and 4.3 when the devil tempted our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan's goal is to have these believers renounce their faith in Jesus. Jesus continues, and you will have tribulation 10 days. Uh, so amazing, I, I pull out commentary after commentary on the book of Revelation, and some people take the number 10 here symbolically. They say it's uh, 10 seasons or 10 periods of time. But if you do that, how does the context justify that? If you have 10 persecutions or 10 periods of sufferings, then what do you do with the words you will have? Are, are these saints going to have 10 periods of persecution and suffering? Uh, get this, everyone. When the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. 10 days here refers to 10 literal days. That's how long they're going to endure this period of suffering. And then the exhortation here, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. 
Now, there are two ways to look at the crown of life here, two prominent ways. One is to think it's a genitive of possession. If that's the case grammatically, then you have a special crown for martyrs. The incentive then would be, hey guys, hang in there, because when you are killed for the faith, you will receive a special martyr's crown. The second way to take it is the way I take it is that it's a genitive of apposition. See, the crown is life itself. You will receive the crown, which is life. And if you are about to die, if you are about to be slaughtered for believing in the Messiah, what do you want? You want to know that when you are killed, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe that's the idea here, that instantaneously they would be with the Lord. Let's think about our first martyr in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. And you recall Stephen preaches this great message and then ultimately is stoned. In Acts chapter 7, twice, we read that Jesus Christ, the one who traditionally sits at the right hand of God, is standing. Why is he standing? To receive Stephen into heaven. And I believe that's the idea here, that if we're faithful until death, that when that death occurs, the Lord will be, if you will, standing to receive us home. How awesome is that? And by the way, just becoming a martyr, does that grant you eternal life? I mean, if you just die for what you believe in, does that guarantee you access to heaven? John Walvert writes, this does not mean that faithfulness is a means of earning eternal life, but that perseverance through suffering furnishes tangible assurance that they will receive eternal life through faith in Christ. In other words, when we know Jesus Christ, regardless what the devil hurls at us, we remain loyal. We remain faithful to the end. And if it means being killed for our faith, once we are martyred, it's a testimony that we knew Jesus Christ. And now down to bring this to a close, verse 11. He who has an ear, that's also said to each of the seven churches. What applies to one church applies to every church. See, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, and again, let's review. The overcomer is the born-again believer. That's 1 John 5, 4, and 5. And then the words here, and you might want to underline these, highlight these, shall not. It's the ume construction. It's the strongest way to say this isn't going to happen. Shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Uh, Spring forward, Revelation chapter 20, please. Revelation chapter 20. Coming down now to verse 14. There will come a day when all the unsaved ever born on planet Earth will stand before 
Jesus Christ. They were physically born at some point in time. But they will experience not only a physical death, that's the first death, but then an eternal separation from Jesus Christ. Observe in Revelation 20, down here in verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. My friend, you're born once into this world physically, and Jesus came to die on the cross to have you repent of your sin, to believe in his finished work, that not only did he die for your sin, but he conquered death, that he might enable you to be born again, born a second time. That's the concept in John chapter 3, that you might enter the kingdom of God and be spared the second death of being separated from the Lord's presence forever and ever and ever. Just flip the page, Revelation 21, look at verse 8. Speaking of the future torment, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's time to put your faith in Jesus Christ so you don't have to experience the second death. And if you know Jesus Christ, then stand firm. This is entitled, Slain Missionary Expected to Suffer for Christ. Missionary Karen Watson counted the cost of following Jesus. That's why she left a letter with her pastor before going to Iraq. She went to provide humanitarian relief in the name of Jesus, but she was gunned down in the country she came to serve. The letter began, you're only reading this if I died. It included gracious words to family and friends and this simple summary of following Christ. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. What should you be expected to suffer for? And the answer is to identify with Jesus Christ. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Whether that means that church attendance is a priority and that even when family wants to have functions always at this particular time of worship, you say, I can't go, I need to place my God first and this is what I will do. Some families will shut you down, cut you off, persecute you. The list can go on and on and on, but here is what you need to know. In all things, Christ is to have the preeminence. In all things, he is to be number one in your life. And if you suffer as a result of identifying with Jesus Christ and for acting upon the clear teachings of Scripture, so be it. That suffering will only last a period of time and the reward will follow so remember our eternal risen lord knows 
our hardship. He's right there with us. He is the one who will see us through the end. And even if our persecution leads to our death, our second point, fear not suffering and death because life follows. We have eternal reward and that is being with our Lord forever and ever and ever. So let us not fear death. We come to Christ through his death. He died for us. He cries out, it is finished. And one day, should the rapture not occur in our lifetime, we will die. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That life, that eternal life follows. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Thank you, Lord, that we are called to this, to identify with Christ regardless of the cost. I'm asking, Lord, that you would touch your people to be obedient to you in all things and not to follow this world's pattern, even this world's pattern of what they would call Christianity, but we would follow biblical Christianity. We would honor you with all of our substance. We would honor you with all that we have. And that, Father, if it means being obedient to your word, that we will suffer, so be it. May we be found pleasing in your sight, knowing that ultimately we are going to be with you. And I thank you that we are overcomers in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.